2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's begin at verse 12 and let's read together, shall we? Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I feel like I just need to pause there long enough and, and, and help somebody grab hold of that verse. If you don't get anything I preach today, would you just grab that? Do not fear or be dismayed, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Let's go on. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and of the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, Lord, open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching today. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. Draw them back. Draw them to you, Lord. I pray especially for sons and daughters that have wandered from the faith and ask you to draw them back to a place of repentance. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, that matchless name of Jesus. Amen. It will not come as any surprise for me to stand here and tell you today that life is a struggle. Sometimes life just seems to cave in on you. Can I get a witness from anybody that that's the way it happens? When you're bombarded with one crisis after another, it can sometimes be overwhelming. And in the face of these challenges, people usually respond in one of two ways. They either lash out or try to run away, commonly called fight or flight. People today are stretched financially. People are in conflict relationally. People are at odds ideologically. People are under stress physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Well, behind the ills that are present in our modern world, 
There is a system that stands in opposition to the peace and harmony and security and confidence that the Lord promises to those who are part of his kingdom. The Apostle Paul identifies the true nature of this struggle in Ephesians 6.12 when he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He wrote to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, and said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. In the face of these kinds of problems, it's easy to become despondent and give up in despair. Well, as we turn our attention to the story that forms the text for the message today, I want to show you how to come out on the winning side by engaging the warfare of worship. Anybody want to be on the winning side today? This story tells about King Jehoshaphat, who was the ruler over the southern kingdom of Judah. As chapter 20 of this book opens, King Jehoshaphat is in an impossible situation. A massive army made up of a coalition of troops from three nations has aligned themselves with one objective, to destroy the people of God. This small army of Judah is no match for the great multitude that has allied against them. They don't have enough resources to buy them off. There are no diplomatic channels open to try and talk their way out of it. Jehoshaphat is in an impossible situation. Now, they, they don't teach you how to deal with these kind of things in king school. It's just not one of the subjects. Nothing in his years of ruling has prepared him for the day when he would have no military or political or economic or diplomatic options. He's a desperate man. But in that hour of desperation, he takes action in a manner that becomes a model for those who find themselves in a place where it looks like all hope is lost and everything is going to come crashing down around their ears. In this story, what I want to do today is I want to lift up three action steps to take when you are faced with a problem that you don't know how to handle. And I want to show you in this story how worship can become the means of obtaining the victory even in the face of seemingly impossible odds. First of all, I want you to see that worship will cause you to adjust your focus. Now, your spiritual enemy has two primary strategies that he uses to tempt you and so distract you and capture your attention until it appears that you have no option but to surrender. The first strategy he uses is to entice your flesh. This is as old as the first man and woman in the book of Genesis. You know, a lot of people wonder how Adam and Eve could be deceived by the serpent. Well, I want to suggest to you that there's a lot more going on in the garden besides this phenomenon of a talking snake. The original name of the being that we know as the devil is Lucifer. The name Lucifer means light bearer. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet begins chapter 28 of that book talking about someone that he calls the king of Tyre. Now, about midway through the chapter, however, the message shifts. He still is addressing the king of Tyre, but 
this earthly king becomes a representative for a revelation of a spirit being and the message that is delivered is a clear indication that something more is in mind than just an earthly king and an earthly kingdom. In verses 12 through 15, the prophet gives a description of a spiritual adversary. Listen to what he says. He says, you had the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now watch this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now that right there lets us know that he's not talking about this literal king of Tyre because king of Tyre wasn't back in Eden. He, he's talking about something else. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald. And the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. He goes on. He says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Now, when you read this this passage in the King James Version, verse 13 of that says that tabrets and pipes were part of the workmanship that was built into the body of this creature. So when you look at what's going on and the description, this isn't a hideous creature. This is a thing of exquisite beauty. And think about this creature who is in Eden as the enemy of God's creation. When he shows up in the garden, he isn't slithering along a tree branch. He's dazzling in brilliant light. Every movement causes the breeze to blow and flow through him and create beautiful music. No wonder Eve and Adam were intrigued when they saw him. The sight and the sound of him was unlike anything they had seen or heard before. And what he offered seemed so desirable. They were so captivated by the outward appearance, they completely lost sight of the prohibition that had been given to them by their creator. No wonder the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen about how Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And I want to tell you, this is the way people are tempted today. It's an appeal to your flesh. It looks good. It sounds sweet. It feels right. Surely there can't be any harm in this, especially just this once. I mean, I mean, don't knock it if you haven't tried it. And we even celebrate it in song with lyrics like, it can't be wrong when it feels so right. Really? Are you kidding me? It's an appeal to the flesh. Second way, the second strategy the enemy uses to cause you to lose focus is he will prey on your fear. The apostle Peter described it like this in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now watch this. The appeal to the flesh causes confusion about what is right and what is wrong. The appeal to the flesh causes you to question what God has said and why he said it. When the lion roars, it creates confusion and strikes fear 
in the heart. And when that happens, the problems seem insurmountable. The issue seems unsolvable, and the, the bondage seems unbreakable, and the mountain seems immovable, and the valley seems impassable, and the storm seems uncalmable, and the foe seems unconquerable. And this is the condition in which King Jehoshaphat finds himself. The odds against him are overwhelming. But instead of fixating on the problem, he makes an adjustment in his focus. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Don't miss that. I have no clue what I'm supposed to do, but our eyes are on you. See, the temptation is to get distracted by the appeal to your flesh on the one hand or by the enemy preying on your fear on the other hand. And when that happens, you, you wind up in despair. The solution is to worship. The victory comes through worship because in worship, you alter, you adjust your focus. In worship is where you say, our eyes are on you. In worship, you get your eyes off the circumstances around you. In worship, instead of seeing a problem, you start to see a possibility. In worship, instead of seeing a mountain, you see a miracle. In worship, instead of seeing a valley, you see a victory. And as you focus on the Lord in worship, He is magnified. Whatever you focus on gets larger and larger, and that's what happens in worship. The Lord gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually you can't see anything but Him. Worship shapes you and fashions you and molds you into the same form of the object of your worship. So as you focus on the Lord in worship, you become more and more conformed to his image. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus, uh, Peter was invited by Jesus to walk out to him on the water. You remember that story? Ten of us, good. No matter how high the waves, no matter how boisterous the wind, as long as he focused on the master, he was able to stay on top of the water. And I want to tell you today that when all hell breaks loose against you, that's the time you need to adjust your focus. If you'll keep your eyes on him, you'll stay on top of your problem. If you'll keep your eyes on him, you'll survive the storm. If you'll keep your eyes on him, you won't give in to the temptation of the flesh, no matter how appealing it may seem. If you'll keep your eyes on him, you won't succumb to the temptation of fear, no matter how loudly the enemy roars. Oh Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, not only will worship cause you to adjust your focus, but worship will also cause you to abandon your fear. In verse 15, the Lord responded to the prayer of Jehoshaphat and said, do not fear or be dismayed for the battle is not yours, but God's. I just feel like I need to remind somebody today, fear not, God's got this. God's got you, and you, and, and you. His faithfulness reaches to the heavens. His mercy is everlasting. His grace is sufficient. What, what, why don't you just look over at somebody and say, fear not, God's got this. Come on, come on, tell him. Fear not. God's got this. 
regardless of how bad it looks right now. Fear not. God's got this. Oh, Pastor, but you, but you, Pastor, you don't know. The prognosis is grim. Uh, fear not. God's got this. Oh, but every avenue has been tried and the way is still blocked. Fear not. God's got this. My strength has failed. Fear not. God's got this. The resources are depleted. Fear not. God's got this. My allies have deserted me and I'm all alone. Fear not. God's got this. I'm overwhelmed with grief. Fear not. God's got this. I'm facing a giant too big for me. Fear not. God's got this. Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm so weary I can't go another step. Fear not. God's got this. Somebody needs to claim Deuteronomy 31 and 8. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Somebody needs to claim 2 Kings 6 and 16. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Somebody needs to claim Psalm 27 verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Somebody needs to claim Isaiah 41 and 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Somebody needs to go ahead and claim Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. He himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Somebody needs to go ahead and just claim the words from our text in 2 Chronicles 20 and 17. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. You thought you were in this all by yourself. You thought you were all alone. You thought every resource had been stripped away. Fear not, the Lord is with you. Say it to this side. Fear not, the Lord is with you. That's a little better. Maybe I'll get better response online. Fear not. The Lord is with you. Worship will cause you to adjust your focus. Worship will cause you to abandon your fears. One more. Worship will cause you to activate your faith. I want you to pay special attention to verses 18 and 19. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Next verse says, the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and of the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. The first thing they did when they heard the word of the Lord was worship. See, the, I know how we do it. I, I, okay. I know how I tend to do it. 
first thing I want to do is map out a strategy. Collect resources. Now, before they developed a strategy, they worshipped. Before they marshaled their forces, they worshipped. Before engaging the battle, they worshipped. See, worship is in and of itself an expression of trust. It's an expression that you believe the word of the Lord. Worship is what gives you the strength and the courage to act on what God has spoken. Worship ushers in the presence of the Lord to perform his mighty work on behalf of his people. Notice how they went out to meet the enemy in battle. You know this story. Jehoshaphat said, this is the way we're going to march. Let me have the choir. Come here, choir. You guys put your choir robes on. And let me have the band. You guys tune your instruments. I want the choir and I want the band to go out at the head of the army, singing and playing the song of the Lord and offering praise and worship unto God. And that's what we're going to do. Now, I know what would happen in most churches if we did that. There would be a sudden mass exodus from the choir loft. Pastor Larry would have choir members coming up to him with all kinds of excuses as why they had to be absent for that service. <laughs> Pastor Larry, <clears throat> can't sing today. <clears throat> I have a sore, <clears throat> sore throat. It's, it's really bad. Pastor Larry, I, I can't play today. I have a hangnail. <laughs> I think I'm getting a headache. Ah, but such was the confidence of these people that those who had never been in the choir before start signing up. You're going to send the choir out? Put me down. They understood the principle that worship is itself warfare. So they put the choir and the band out front and the enemy, or the army, came behind them. The worshipers marched at the front of the army leading the charge. And as they marched, they played and they sang, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever and ever. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever and ever. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever and ever. That, that was their song of worship. Now, in recent times, there's been a, a lot of ridicule heaped upon some of the praise and worship choruses. They've been dismissed as lacking content, lacking substance. Um, they've been derisively called 7-Eleven songs. Seven words sung 11 times. And I have to admit that some of them are personally annoying to me. But there was something powerful about just these praise the Lord. For his mercy endures forever and ever. There weren't a lot of verses to this song. There wasn't a, this wasn't a majestic hymn extolling the attributes of God. There wasn't any triumphant anthem proclaiming how God was going to stomp the enemy and crush his head beneath their feet. This was just a simple worship chorus focusing on the mercy of the Almighty. The choir sang this one refrain over and over as they marched. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever and ever. 
I know there's a massive army arrayed against us, but praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever and ever. I know we're outnumbered, but praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever and ever. I know it looks like we're no match for the enemy that's come out against us, but praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever and ever. Notice, notice they worshiped before. The worship went up and was offered before the army. The worship went up before they saw the outcome. The worship went up before the victory was won. The, the worship went up before there was any tangible proof that they would be successful and their enemy would be defeated. All they had to go on was the word of the Lord. All they had to go on was a promise, but it was enough to inspire worship. They worshiped just because God said he was going to take care of them. Now, now I know that doesn't make much sense in the natural, but I want to tell you today, the help we need in our day isn't natural. We need some Something supernatural. I, I, you know, I could understand the celebration and the worship when the answer comes. I could understand the rejoicing and the worship when the victory is won. I understand singing and shouting and worshiping when, when the wayward son comes home and when the addiction is broken and when the relationship is put back together and when the healing is certified by the negative results of the test. But, but why worship the Lord now? Why worship the Lord in the middle of the problem? Why worship before the answer comes? Why worship when everything looks like it will be destroyed? Well, the answer is because worship is the language of trust. Worship is the expression of confidence in the word of the Lord. Worship is the expression of belief in the promises and the direction and the work of God. I want to tell you today, worship scatters the darkness. Worship breaks the stronghold. Worship opens the door. Worship releases God's power. Worship ushers in the manifest presence of God. Worship gets you out of the realm of the natural and over into the realm of the supernatural. Worship gets you out of the realm of the material and over into the realm of the miraculous. Worship is the key to the release of hell's hold on your life. Worship isn't just in response to the wonderful things God does. Worship is for what he has said and what he is going to do. Worship is for who he is, regardless of whether or not the problem gets resolved according to the way you planned and hoped it would. Worship is an activation of faith that God is able to take the worst and redeem it and use it for the best. Worship is an activation of faith that God is causing all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The, the choir just kept marching and singing. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever and ever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever and ever. Now, I don't know. I think it was a gospel choir. And that means they, they, they had to have a little sway and swag in their step. Now, I don't have sway and swag. White boy can't sway and swag. But they marched and they sang, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever and ever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They just kept saying over and over, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever and ever. 
And when they arrived at the battlefield, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord had already been dispatched. The enemy camp had been thrown into confusion. The enemy soldiers had started fighting one another. And when the people of God arrived, instead of finding a waiting army ready with drawn swords to come against them, all they found were corpses for God had gotten there ahead of them and defeated their enemy. And the Bible says that all remained for them to do was to gather up the spoils of battle and it took them three days to gather all the spoils. The valley that first looked like the valley of their demise was called the Valley of Berachah. Berachah means blessing, the place of destruction, the place of impossible odds, the place of insurmountable obstacles becomes the place of incalculable blessing. Three days worth of blessing. Can I just stop long enough to tell somebody that that valley you're in right now, you go ahead and worship, you go ahead and give thanks to God because God's turning that thing around and he's going to take what's impossible, he's going to take what looks like destruction and turn it around and it'll be the best blessing you've ever had. I'm trying to help you understand how to experience a turnaround in your life. I'm trying to give you a plan of action to land you in Blessing Valley. Engage the warfare of worship that will adjust your focus and abandon your fear and activate your faith. I somehow have this idea that if I were to take the time to go around the room and ask the question, we would find a number of you in a desperate place. If we could get a response from those of you who are worshiping online right now, we would no doubt find the same thing. Some of you have seen your finances depleted. Some of you have seen a relationship turn sour. Some of you have such turmoil and such tension you can't focus on anything but the negatives. Some of you are hobbled by grief. Some of you have gotten a bad report from the doctor. Some of you are facing such impossible odds, you are convinced there's no alternative but defeat. If that's you, I want you to know today the Lord loves you. And he has sent me to this pulpit with a word of encouragement to you. If you'll have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying right now. Here's what the Lord wants to say to you. You need to let faith get a hold of your heart. And you need to begin to speak the language of faith, which is worship. Bring this problem to the Lord. Leave it in his hands. By faith, give him thanks and praise for his help, even before you see the results of his work. You know, that's sometimes hard. We get so caught up in the mix Somewhere we just need to adjust our focus. We'll do that in worship. And suddenly, that's when the light will break through. I'm not going to belabor this. Let me just do it this way. If the Spirit is speaking to you, if you're that person in need of His help today, and without any other preamble, I just want you to stand. And that says, I need the help of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
Thank you for touching your people right now. I want to, I, I, you see, I just believe that some of you, when you stood up, you immediately recognized God's working. God's helping me. Just, just that act of obedience, just that act of response says to the Lord, I believe you, I trust you. And God says, I'll, I'll respond to that. God's already, God's already working right now. He's already touching you. He's already helping you. Before I pray a prayer, he's helping you. I just sense it. I, 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 I speak that over you, the blessing of the Lord and the help of the Lord and the grace of God and the, the, the blessing and the favor of the Lord. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to invite those of you who are standing especially, but I'm going to ask this whole congregation to take a moment. I want to invite you. I, no, I want to challenge you to lift your hands and to lift your voice in praise and worship of the Lord. Worship Him because of who He is. Worship Him because of the promise He's made. Worship Him because the battle is not yours, it's His. Refuse to be distracted. Adjust your focus. Fix your eyes on Him. Abandon your, your fear. Activate your faith. Make, make a decision of your will. Worship Him. There's power in your worship. God works in your worship. Praise Him for what He's done. Worship Him for who He is. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice to Him right now. <laughs> oh, we bless you, Lord. We bless you. We honor you right now in this house. You're worthy, Lord. Now, Lord, as we worship you, touch your people. Bring the help of your presence. Bring your powerful anointing to them, Lord. Touch them where they need you the most. I believe you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like I want to sing this over you today. In the midst of it all. In the midst of it all. I have hope that will never let me fall. Jesus heard my call and by me stood tall and in him I stand of it all. Come on, let's stand together and sing. In the midst of it all. In the midst of it all. I have hope that will never let me fall. Jesus heard call 
Him I stand complete in the midst of it all in the midst of it all in the midst of it all I have hope that will never let me fall Jesus heard my call and by me stood tall and in him I stand complete in the midst of it all Jesus heard my call and by me stood tall and in him I stand complete in the midst of it all God you're gonna make it because God's got this God's got you don't you ever forget that this afternoon when you want to get discouraged just why don't you just put your hand on your shoulder like this and say it's okay come on come on it's okay the Lord is with me. You're going to be all right. The Lord is with you. 